0: Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Welcome to, to Fall in Charleston. This is great. Grab a hold of it now. It's here for just a moment. This is incredible. I, I don't know how many of you... Um, I was really shocked in the earlier service. There was loads of people. How many of you have moved to Charleston in the last 10 years? Can I see your hands? Yeah. You know, in the first service, it was like predominantly people not from Charleston. I am from New England. I am of Charleston. I'm of the nature of Charleston, but I am from New England. That means that every fall I hold out the hope that I will see yellow leaves and orange leaves and a cool crisp. I'm telling you, it's going to be beautiful here. If you'll just give it to like December. In December, it will be amazing. Charleston is absolutely a great place to be. Well, it's great to have you here today. Trunk or Treat's right around the corner. It happens Saturday, October 26th. We have only a few more spots for cars to be dressed up and do, you know, be trunk. So we encourage you to sign up. It's a big deal for us. We are we are doing it on Saturday so that we're going to get all these kids back here on on Sunday and they're going to be here in their costumes. You know, I was talking to a good Christian fella who doesn't go to Crosstown and I was telling him what we were doing, trying to get all the kids to come back and they'd be in their costumes. And he was like, "Yeah, but you're not going to like let, let you know pointy-eared uh, devil costumes in the church, right? I mean, you're going to try to teach these children not to do this anymore." And I'm like. Listen, you know, we started this church a long time ago, and there's been devils in this church ever since it was started. You know, I mean, and one of them is me. We, Jesus came down into the earth where people were so that he could love them and tell them the love of the Father. That's what we're doing. And so if that makes it sloppy for, for one Sunday, it's going to get sloppy. And when Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, he didn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, tonight I'm going to your house. Make sure you clean it up. Make sure you get all the, please excuse freshmen, get all the hookers out of the house. Get all the thieves out of the house. Make out. No, he was, he was a regular dude living regular life, and Jesus said, I want to meet you there. So I want to encourage you to help be a part of this moment. Will we parade the kids around in their costumes? Absolutely we're going to do that. Are we going to celebrate who they are as people? Yes, and we will do whatever it takes. And you say, well, whatever it takes? Well, it's just like, whatever it takes in order for us to reach people, young hearts with Christ We will do whatever it takes for them to know that they are loved by God. So sign up and be a part of that. Also, I want to tell you I need your prayers. Uh, Tomorrow I get to speak to the Public Works Subcommittee of Charleston. Um, And then on Tuesday I get to speak to city council. And it's about the flooding issue. But you would be really shocked. I wish I... Maybe in a week or so I'll give you all the information, but we've actually hired a design firm and, and engineering and attorneys and all that other stuff, and we put it together, Cross Down Christian Church put together um, a, a, an idea to help resolve flooding in the Church Creek Basin area, creating inline storage, creating a sanctuary for birds and estuaries. It's absolutely beautiful, and, and, and our church created it. So we sent out our idea to all the city council persons. They got it. I started getting phone calls back from them. I presented to the public works on Monday um, to see if whether or not they're going to buy into it. The Dutch have already bought into it. They are after do you know that Crosstown was described as the most influential voice on flooding in the Charleston area? Your church is the most influential voice on this incredible, uh, incredible problem. And it's not because we've provided a fix or anything, but we got involved. And we got involved and we're gonna be talking about how you handle conflict. It's something about that that has caught the attention of a lot of people. Let me just brag a little bit more about this. because uh, I want you to know I work, be- I work Monday and fr- through Friday also. I mean, so there's other things going on here at Crosstown. But there's this company called REI. Maybe you're familiar with them. They're an outdoor outfitter. They're like, you know, kind of a, you know, a Cabela's type of the kayaking and you know, hunting world. And so they, they are out of California, and they were looking for somebody to do an article on, some organization that is environmentally impactful in a hardship type of situation. So they were Googling it at their computers in California, and they saw a cross Christian church pop up, pop up, pop up, pop up. So I got a phone call from this lady, and she's like, what is up with this church, and, and what are you guys doing, and why, why are you so impactful? And, and so I began to have conversations with her, and she said... Um, so do you have a hydrological background? Do you have a degree in hydrology or anything like that? I'm like, no, no, I don't have it. De- but, you know, it's just something I've had to learn. And she goes, well, so did they teach you at seminary? And I'm like, well, I've got to be honest with you. I don't have a seminary degree either. And she's like, so why are you allowed to do what you do? Because, I'm, because God has, one, spoken to my heart, and also we're passionate about the things that God's interested in. And god is interested in and how and people flooding and also how we're using in the the environment so i just want to let you if you just would pray with me these are big things so they're doing an article on it she's flying into town tomorrow and doing an article on cross on christian church so when it comes out I'll, I'll let you know where it is um the walter Cronkite news agency has already been here doing an article on cross on christian church uh, so you guys are really making an impact. I know sometimes it seems like we're just the church that has really cool worship light, fog, and and uh, videos. We are an impactful congregation, and I just want to um, celebrate that with you. So we've been talking about relationships and about doing them differently. And we've been using Romans 12 too and I hope you are absolutely sick of hearing this verse because if you're sick of hearing this verse that means you, uh, you got it in you now and so that it's someplace inside of you but, but God is saying, listen, if you want relationships different you know, you're going to have to do something different. If you don't want the, the 80% result of what relationships look like, what marriages and dads and daughters and, and moms and sons and coworkers and all that, you're going to have to do something different. So he said, present the way that you do life. And In Romans 12, too, he says, do not copy the behavior and the customs of the world. And let's be honest, we all know that the New Testament's about how we get along with God and relate to him and how we relate to one another. Well, he's not getting into the customs of whether or not you eat pork or whether or not you, you eat shrimp or whatever, you know. He's getting into the customs of how you relate to people, how you relate to God. Because those are the significant impacts that we make on this planet. He said, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think, the way that you, the way that you talk, the way that you even fight. And that's what we're talking about today. How you do conflict that God says, I want, you, I want to change the way that, and how you do that because it seems to be a part of our lives. So last week, we started talking about being uncommon in conflicts, and we stepped back and looked at a big picture of, of how God wants to do conflicts, but today we're going to look at a couple things that we can possibly do because conflicts happen, and they happen a lot, and they usually don't end well. Jesus had a lot of conflicts in his life. And and I don't care how nice and perfect you are as long as people like me who are not nice nor perfect are living in this world and there's an abundance of us, you are going to have conflict in your life. And we talked a little bit about why do they happen? Well, they happen bad communication, methodology, bad words, misunderstandings, unfulfilled expectations. I thought you were going to do this. I thought she was going to be like that. Those kinds of things, selfishness, I want it my way, this is the way that I want it done, you didn't do it that way, now we have a conflict. Fear, you're different than me, devaluing the differences of others. You know, I'm, a, I'm concerned about how your kind of people are going to react and, and, and so we have those kinds of issues and then, then we have just plain the goo issue, it's the sin issue. We just get angry at stuff, we get angry really fast about the little, bit, little, little little things about life. And we find ourselves in conflict really fast because we all have this goo in us. But people living for God are no different. And we also experience relationships in every one of our relationships. And we have a choice. I think God's given us a choice on how we do them. You know, there's kind of like four general ways that we can look at doing um, uh, conflicts, Uh, and they're pretty straightforward, you can go into a conflict and decide that we're going to do this my way, that that's how we're going to resolve it, that we're going to be very controlling and autocratic and threatening in the relationship. So we're going to solve this my way, and we're not going to have relationship unless my way prevails. Then there are some of us that do the your way. Well, let's do it your way. We do the passive-aggressive thing where we just acquiesce and we may whisper about it over to the side. We may grow in resentment because you're getting your way and I'm always having to let you do what you want to do and it doesn't seem to get resolved otherwise. That's a pretty popular way of dealing with conflicts. Then there's the halfway. The halfway is um, that creating that uh, relational impasse. That I'll do this as long as you own up to your part and you do this. But otherwise, a threat of the impasse occurs. That unless these these prerequisites get done, then the relationship is going to dissolve. But we also have God's way. Uh, And God wants to enable us to experience a different reaction, a a different outcome. I mean, the cross represents God's way of resolving conflict with humanity. I mean, if you think for a second, he I mean, I know we spend most of our time moaning and complaining about what God doesn't do on this planet, about how does he let me stay where I'm at, or this happened and all that. Okay, I got it, I get it. I've, I'm there too, I've been there too. But have you ever thought that maybe God had a complaint? I mean, have you ever given God something to complain about? Or an attitude, of thought, of just a thought, something that just whisked through your head or something? I mean, we forget about that there's we're always offending God at the same time. You know, we're telling him what we think a deity ought to do. And so how does God handle conflict with humanity? It's like, I got issues against you. You know, this whole idea of we're all sinners. And it's like, God's like, listen, I've been keeping track of what's going on down here. You guys are really, you guys are really hard on me. You know, not that he's fatigued with it, but it's like, we we forget that we're in this relationship. So God says, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to handle this conflict. Well, how are you going to handle it, God? Are you going to do your part? No. I'm going to do your part. That's what that cross represents. God's saying, I have a conflict with you, and I'm going to do it different. Instead of 50-50, I'm just going to take it all. I'm going to put it on the back of my son, and I'm going to take all my confliction with you that you don't even know about yet, but I'll, I'll kind of help you with it, and I'm going to take it on my back. See, now that kind of uncommon love, if we had that in common with each other, Boy, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be absolutely awesome? And that's what God has called us to. So the early disciples got a hold of this. They they got this spirit literally inside of them. And, and God helped them have a, like a, this axiom, this agreement of how do we handle difficulties with one another? How do we go at it? Do we just go our own ways? And, and the Apostle Paul finally is inspired to pen in Romans 12, he, he pens this. He says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. He's like, this is how we're going to do this. This is the, the rule. This is kind of how we're asking God to change our hearts into being able to do this. He says, be devoted to one another. And we, we talked about how this idea of preloading it with devotion means that it's already preloaded with conflict. You, we, we talked about the example of paddling down a creek. You don't have to be devoted to paddling when you're going in the same direction of the, of the river. I mean, you don't even have to drop the paddles at all. Maybe occasionally I'm just, you know, aligning on the way down, but otherwise you don't have to be devoted to it. It's only when the the kayak is turned upstream that you have to be devoted to paddling. And you have to be able to, you have to be devoted rightly to paddling. And so when he says be devoted to one another, he's already implying, hey, you're going to be scrapping. You know, I love it. He kind of puts a little bit of a masculine theme to this, but it doesn't mean it's only guys. But it just means this. this is kind of like, I I want you to love one another in conflict. And I want to let you know there's going to be some brotherly love. There's going to be some scrapping. There's going to be some wrestling. There's going to be some noogies and wedgies and sweat swirlies and all that. Because I think only guys do that stuff. Um, But there's going to be some of this brotherly love and scrapping in relationship with each other. And he's like, this is the way you do it. Do you know 85% of all church growth registered in the United States is is people going from one church to another church? A church will all of a sudden grow, and it's like, wow, we've really grown. Well, how many unbelievers did you get? Well, that's not really a big number. What did you get? I got the angry people from that church coming to our church because they couldn't be devoted. You know, when, when me and Chris get in an argument, the first thing that me and Chris think is not, well, you know what? I need to go to another church. You know, it's like, well, me and me and him arguing, we didn't have an agreement on it. It's like, well, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to scrap, be devoted to each other with brotherly love. You know, we're supposed to look at each other's interests. We need to prefer each other one in honor. I Man, I'll tell you what, that's, that's how churches are supposed to operate. That's how families are supposed to operate. And God called us to it. I think this principle will help us to understand what kind of conflict we may individually be in and how we should respond Um, because first of all not all conflicts are the same there there are different types of conflict and i want to kind of focus on that today because we need the holy spirit and the word of god to help us know what kind of conflict we're in i wouldn't ask you to raise your hand but most of us are kind of either it's kind of like the tide we're cycling into a conflict, or we're on our way out of a conflict, or maybe the, we're in an ebb period just between conflicts. You say, wow, you're really, you know, you're definitely from Boston because you're so conflicted. No, if you want to have serious relationships with other human beings on this planet, there is always going to be some relational friction called conflict. Not all of this conflict is bad, but some of it is bad. So, as maybe you're moving into or out of a conflict, maybe God wants to inspire you and talk to you today about what kind of conflict it is that you're really in. So, let's take the first one. This is called malicious conflict. This is just a a divisive kind of conflict that, that, you know, there's at least one person that's in it that they just don't want any resolution to the situation. A matter of fact, I found this incredible video that uh, kind of shows you what malicious conflict looks like. Let's watch. And, and I'll kind of okay, so these dogs are just fighting each other, right? But I want you to notice the fence is moving. And so as the fence moves, the dogs begin to leave the fence because none of these dogs really want to fight. I mean, I don't know if it's cowardice or whether they think a car is going to come by. I'm not exactly sure, but they just want to bark at each other. These dogs don't want to resolve the problem. They don't want to scrap. They don't want to, they don't want to hash out what the differences are. They just enjoy having the fence there and just making a lot of noise. See, all you have to do is look at Facebook. That's what this is. Facebook is this fake fence that put up where all of us can get woo, 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 and we can get really nasty with one another and we can bark and, and we can say the things that we wouldn't dare say if the fence got removed and we had to look, you know, muzzle the muzzle to each other. We Why? Because we don't really want to do the work of fixing it. I don't really want to have to go through that. I don't want to have to argue with that. I don't want to have to deal with that. And so malicious types of conflict are, are the ones that... There really is, nobody's looking for a resolution in this, or at least one party doesn't want it. And and I think Isaiah 29 gave us a really good description of this. Uh, Verse 20, it's, it's really amazing, the language that he uses here. He says, For the ruthless will come to an end, and the scorner will be finished, Indeed, all who are intent on doing evil will be cut off. Now listen to that so far. Um, Ruthless, come to an end, scorner, finished, and cut off. Wow, these people must be doing some serious bad things. And listen to what he says. Those who cause a person to be indicted by a word. Have you ever indicted somebody with a word? You know, have you ever been indicted by just a word? Some malicious individual just said something about you, and you were indicted because they said it. Regardless of it being true or not, this person just wanted to just say something. It goes on. Who cause a person to be indicted by a word and ensnare him who adjudicates at the gate and defraud the one in the right with meaningless arguments. The one who adjudicates at the gates, this kind of represents those who are responsible in this, at this time period where the people sitting at the gates is usually the elders, the decision makers, the governance of the, the community. And it talks about a malicious person as somebody who tries to disrupt the ability to rightly decide between right and wrong, that intentionally wants to mess up the works of things flowing the right way that I'm, going to, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to mess up what they're doing because I just want to be involved in messing up what they're doing. I know they're responsible to make, they're trying to fix it, they're trying to adjudicate, they're trying to make a right judgment, and I'm just going to keep saying things and doing things in the conflict to keep them from making a right judgment. Or maybe it's a person who defrauds one uh, that is right with meaningless arguments. Now just let God speak to you maybe a couple different ways. One is, God, what you, how, how do I deal with a person like this? And, and yeah, that is really what, why I'm so angry is because somebody has done this to me. This verse, that video of dogs just kind of really described this behavior. Or maybe you're part of the dog pack. Maybe you're part of the barking. And, and maybe you're just something you're locked down on, some injustice, some perspective that you're part of the barking and that you really don't want to be resolved, that you're asking God for an answer on something and you just keep barking at him, and you're really not listening for an answer. You know, you really don't want, maybe it's somebody in your life that you just are like, I'm gonna make sure they're not happy. I mean, if you're one of the folks that, um, you know, has gone through a divorce, maybe you're, you're committed to make sure that that other person in your life is just not going to be happy. So allow the Spirit of God to speak to you today because, you know, that's something that we really need to see resolved in our life if we're going to live uncommon. So what do we do? I love what Paul says to Titus in 3, verse 9. He, he writes to me, he says, Avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions, for they are unprofitable and vain. I mean, just avoid this stuff. Don't go looking for it on Facebook. Don't, I mean, if you don't agree with what's being said on CNN, you know, why are you turning CNN on? You know, watch Fox. Maybe they, you'll agree with them. If you don't agree with them, well, then maybe you're probably with the rest of us in America. That, you know, it's like, why are we turning this stuff on? They just are drilling up information that we don't even know if it's true or not. I mean, we really don't know. And he says, what do you do with this? He's like, avoid. 2 Timothy 2, 16. He says, avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness on both sides of the fence. It's not like the ungodliness will remain over there with the malicious. No, you'll end up looking ungodly. You'll end up looking ridiculous in the middle of this. And he's like, avoid it. I love this one verse that has been kind of a rule for me. And I've tried to live this in Romans 12, verse 18. It says, if, if it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Now, you read a verse like that and you say, well, what's the takeaway? Live at peace with everyone. No, it's not what it said. It didn't say live at peace with everyone. It says, as much as you bring to the argument or the conflict, try to live at peace with people. But there are some people you can't live at peace with. I mean, there are some people that will just not be at peace with you. And there's nothing you can do to bring peace into that situation. And it's like, maybe that's a relationship you shouldn't have. Now I'm hoping that that's not your marriage. Um, I mean because maybe we could put that in we can look at that in another conflict range, but again, you need to know that there are some people it's like, yeah, I really can't I need to unfollow them I 'm um, just not taking that phone call, I just can't be in that in relationship with that person because it it just leads to more ungodliness, more chatter, more foolishness there's a second kind of conflict it 's called the destructive conflict, and this is more kind of like an unhealthy methodology and these are ones that we may find ourselves more in and this produces the crazy cycle now I've kind of borrowed that phrase from a book by um, Dr. Emerson Egerich and it's one of the greatest books you'll ever read on marriage there are two great books on marriage so if you're here and also if I could just slow down a little bit um i i love this subject and it just gets me talking like a mile a minute if you're taking notes and you're not keeping up with me it's okay download our app and all the notes to my message are right there so if you want to just kind of stay in the moment here just relax i know i'm throwing out a lot of information real fast but there are two books that you need to read in your marriage whether you're conflicted or not one is called the five love languages by gary chapman You know, it's on Amazon, get it, you can Kindle it. If you don't read, you can listen to it on audio. Um, The second one is called Love and Respect, and this book uh, talks about the relationship, particularly between husband and wife, about the crazy cycle we get into, about words of disrespect from her to him, and then words of threatening or unkind words that that make her feel unsafe. And then it produces this crazy cycle over and over again, and so this constantly. Well, I don't respect you. Well, I don't love you. And this thing gets all kinds of words. It gets all kinds of crazy in the middle of it, and it's a cycle of endless disrespect, uh, accusatory, unloving, and unsafe language that we use. I think most of us get into this. It's not that not that God doesn't want us to have conflicts, I would really challenge that idea. I mean, really, I mean, there's tension between a water displacement of a boat in the ocean. There's tension that's produced by anything that moves on this planet. There's tension involved. On the physical world, there's, there's, in every field, there's something that is pressing against something and rubbing, against, and, and how efficiently that occurs dep- produces the amount of, 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 of velocity and I, you know, all kinds of stuff. Well, that happens in relationships. The fact that you have a tension with your spouse or a family member or somebody at work, those are all part of relationships. But getting into this crazy cycle begins to create more heat in that tension and more dysfunction in that. And so we start using unsafe language, threatening language. And here's what James said about it in chapter 1, verse 26 in his book. He said, if you claim to be religious, but do not control your tongue, I mean, that thing gets on a cycle, you know, Um, you are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Wow. Wow. You know, you, th- you may think you're in a crazy cycle and you think your marriage is worthless. Well, God says, while you're in this crazy cycle in your marriage, you haven't proven your marriage is worthless. You have just produced, you've just proven your religion is worthless. Because this cycle is produced by not looking at relationships and conflicts the way that God wants us to look at them. You know, he, he wants us to step out of this this cycle of disrespect and lead to words of honor words of of um, cherishing to one another and if you don't repair it you will repeat it what you you repeat whatever you don't repair if you don't fix your language and how we talk to each other and me and susan have had to do this we didn't get to 32 years by magic or by sprinkle dust from heaven but when we we have conflicts, and we still have conflicts, and, and uh, sometimes it produces a little bit of uh, heat and a little bit of tears and a little bit of, you know, I mean, I try not to cry as much as I did in the past, but, you know, we still have tension with each other, but we kind of slow down and look at the words that we used. You know, I said that. Um, when I said moron, I didn't mean moron, you know. No, I'm only joking. You never use the word moron in a relationship with any human being. But we begin to look at the words and see that, that the conflict is now taking on its own energy because of the words that are being used, not because of the issue that originally started the conflict. So James tells us to watch our words and to grab a hold of them. Let me take a look on in, in, at another conflict. I would call this a redefining conflict, and sometimes these can be really good and can be healthy. That is a a conflict that helps you establish healthy boundaries. Sometimes we don't have boundaries in place that should have been there kind of borders that, and the, the scripture is constantly talking about, particularly in the book of Proverbs, it talks about these different boundaries. Let, let me read you one out of Proverbs 25, 17. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. You know, it's like, it didn't say that they hated their neighbor you know, at first it was that because there was a lack of boundaries, that, that lack of boundaries began to produce contempt and allow bad things to happen in the relationships. And so sometimes a conflict can happen in a redefining conflict that, oh, I need to redefine my expectation in this relationship, or my role, or the privacy and accessibility of this relationship. I am in this right now. I would call it a conflict, but I guess if, if it's any friction, is, is, it's a conflict relationally. And it would be in my family with um, Deanna and Brian. They just had a brand new baby, beautiful little baby. And so, you know, this is the one grandchild that happens to be in town. We don't love this grandchild any more than the other ones, but it's the one that we have the most access to. So... We began to like, well, of course, you want grandma and grandpa around all the time, don't you? I mean, it's like, we're just gonna, hey, I just want to let you know I'm heading home. I'm just gonna swing by and say hey. And then you're like, do you have a problem with that? What part do you have a problem with? The swing by part is what we have a problem with. It's like, what? You don't want. Papa and Susu to swing by and see baby Ireland. I can't, we can't imagine that. We were just going to come and maybe change a diaper, or give you some time so you go out. You know, so, so as we've been developing this relationship, because here's where it gets really difficult. Okay, I'm their boss, I'm their pastor, I'm their father, and I am the grandfather of their child. Now, that's a lot of wonderful integration. But what is that also? High potential for conflict. So when the conflict began to emerge, we was kind of like, huh, he doesn't look as happy when we're at the front door as as I thought he would be. You know, we're just over here to help. How do you not get that? Because expectations hadn't been discussed. So we had to go through kind of like, so you don't like it when, you know, we kind of do this or that? No, we really don't want to do that. We want to do it this way. It's like, okay, so what will our role be in this relationship? And you say, wow, that's really unloving or that's really sad. No, there are times when redefining conflicts are healthy. And and also some of us need to have redefining conflicts and boundaries. When you're out with your kids and you're looking at a phone and, and you're getting a text from work, you know, and it's on a Saturday, Okay, I don't think, maybe you have boundary problems. You know, nobody should have, other than your wife and your children, should have 24-hour, seven days a week, access to who you are. Maybe you're getting angry with those people, or maybe with that person, not because they're that person, but because they're setting their foot in your house too often via text message. You know, some people will text me. I'll get text messages at 5 a.m. And I'll, you don't want to hear what I say at 5 a.m. when my phone wakes me up. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm do not disturb, do not disturb. You know, half the people in my contact list are listed as do not disturb. You say, wow, that's really unfriendly. I can't believe you didn't want to talk to me at 5 o'clock. Uh, no, it's, it's healthier if you and I have boundaries with each other. And sometimes you may be in a conflict right now. And all it needs is not for you to go one way and them to go another way. Is that, hey, we need to talk about what our expectations are. You know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be carrying my phone when I'm with my grandkids. You know, maybe that's a time where we just, I don't, they don't have access to me. I don't answer that phone call at this particular time. So maybe God is trying to help you in that conflict. It's like, I know I like them, but why am I so angry? It's because you don't have any boundaries with them. And then I would say the fourth kind of relationship is the revisioning conflict. And you really need to think, you need to buy into this one. Because I really think this happens. It's a time when God can use a conflict to reshape the mission for your life. That God's using that conflict to get you to think differently about the mission of your life whether or not you you know is this really the direction I should be going is it maybe this mission needs to change in the way that it's it's operating the early church had this problem uh, all of a sudden have Jews hearing the the message of the cross they get the cross and then Gentiles are kind of brought in and so now we got different people in and now we got different customs brought in and and so the church is now challenged with what are the rules that we pass from from our Jewish lifestyle that actually applied to the Christian mission. So there was this big argument going on, and you know, they all the different leaders had to come back to Jerusalem about you know, big council meeting, big. Uh, you know, a disagreement taking place, and, and so they're just kind of like coming back because they're arguing over wh- whether or not the Gentiles can eat pork or not, or whether or not the Gentiles can, can take a train ride on a Saturday or go to a football game because the, the, the Sabbath, and so they're having arguments about this. This is good, healthy conflict. How much of this do we pass on as this you know, how much does God want us to include in this? This is a revisioning conflict. You know, and one of the big things is talking about, uh, you know, should the new converts, new Gentiles, be circumcised? You know, because you know, once they take the gospel out of Jerusalem and they're bringing it into Corinth and all, and all of a sudden somebody says, yeah, you guys need to be circumcised. All the Gentiles are like, hey now. You know, it's like, hey, <laughs> uh, uh, can we talk to somebody who's in charge? We would like to talk to somebody because this is not really the direction that we wanted to go. This was a revisioning conflict. The apostle Paul is sitting down with a group of people having a sandwich and a barbecue and they've got pulled pork and it's incredible they're having a great time and Peter shows up with a bunch of Jewish folks and all of a sudden Peter acts like he's not going to eat any of the pulled pork because he's better than pulled pork. And so he gets into a conflict, and it's like, wow, okay, Peter, you're going to be a little bit of a hypocrite on it. So the apostle Paul calls him right out. And they go at it right there in front of everybody, right there at a barbecue. You're like, well, that's not very Christian. No, that was a revisioning conversation. Peter had lost his vision of what grace looked like and and, and needed to be pulled back in. So much so, towards the end of Peter's life, as him and Mark are kind of writing down some things that need to be remembered, he says, listen, I want you to remind you that um, Paul's writings are like scripture. Because I remember the day that when Paul, and he didn't say this verbatim, but I remember when Paul spoke to me under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and really challenged my way of thinking about God. You need to read his stuff, you know, because I had a revisioning imp- uh, conflict with him, and it." And it kind of redirected my life. Maybe right now your marriage is going through a revisioning. You're butting heads because God wants to take your marriage in a more positive way than it's going right now. Maybe in your work, you're dissatisfied with your work. and Maybe God's revisioning what your mission is for work. How you're supposed to be involved in it. And maybe these conflicts are part of the way that God wants to redirect you. Conflicts may be a sign of diverging missions. They may be a sign of needing to reaffirm relational values. There were times when I just need to take a hold of Susan's hand, take her out to, uh, what's the, t- the tomato shed? Uh, that's a, I see my tomato shed friends here. Uh, tomato shed is this nice restaurant on John's Island is that, I mean, you've been there? Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's just everything's homegrown, really great little place. And, and we just but me and Susan would go to the tomato shed and have a tomato shed moment. And that's a moment when I grab her hands and I look at her and, and remind her, revision her, that listen, you are the most important relationship in my life. And maybe you're having conflicts with your spouse or with, with people at work, and you need to have a moment where you revision. This is what it's all about. This is what what our relationship is. So let me just throw a couple things real fast. Uh, we'll, We'll be out of here in no time. Let me throw a couple things that I've learned about resolving conflict. One, own your parts of the conflict. Ask yourself, what is it like being on the other side of this table in the conflict with me? You know, what is it like to... Just pretend you're on the other side of the conflict. That the person's having to look at your mug and in in your veracity and your anger and whatever. What is it like to be on the other side of me? That's a really good question. It's like, wow, am I th- am I threatening this person? What and am I owning my part to this? Two, go direct to seek understanding. And I put that. Key part in there, go direct to seek understanding, is because we go direct to give somebody a piece of our mind. I love what Stephen Covey said. He said, Seek first to understand, then to be understood. He rephrased the verse that comes out of James be be quick to listen and slow to speak. So in a conflict, uh, go direct, but go direct to to get information about what the other person's thinking try to understand what what they're thinking uh not trying to give them a piece of your mind number three believe god's best about the other person i don't care how different they are i don't care how mangled their life and how distorted their anger and that just try to bring into that and believe god's best for the other person i don't care if it's over business or, or if it's over Um, A bill or over traffic or over whatever it is, service that you've received at a restaurant or a doctor's office, believe the best, God's best about that other person. You don't know how they ended up being as angry as they did and what pushes their buttons and believe God's best about that person, not your best. Number four, explain but don't seek blame. Explain, but don't seek blame. And I could say this particularly about marriage, and I, if I can probably pull this down on, um, on maybe the wife's side, and, and there's a guy's side of this too, but on the wife's side, if you're going to use the phrase, you always, you might as well just put the man in a box and just leave a little hole for air to get in and out of that box. But if you're going to use phrases like you always, then there is going to be no success in this relationship. Guys, if you ever use the phrase you never with your wife, you might as well just take every capability of healing that relationship out of that relationship. Always seek to understand, to explain, but never to blame. Number five, Convince others that you want things to get better, and you are vested in a solution. That last part is really important. Convince the other person that you want it to get better, and I'm willing to do my part. I'm bought into this. This just happened to me. And, I, and I, it's happened with a neighbor. Uh, I'm gonna give a shout out to her. Hi, Kim, you know, if she's listening, I'm not gonna, you know, kind of like the anonymous neighbor. Who knows who they are, but I'm just gonna say, hey, Kim. Um, and she's an amazing, her and her husband are amazing neighbors. They live right next door to me, conscientious, loving, great people. But they found themselves in a situation because of schedule that it required them to put a little pug dog out on their back porch at 5 a.m. Okay, now this poor little pug dog has a nervous bark. <coughs> and it's right next to our window, or at least feels like it's right next to our window. And from 5 a.m. till seven o'clock when the sun finally comes up, this nervous little dog is just barking, 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 barking. Now, did that bother me? Yes, it did. Did I lose? We tried to bring fans into the bedroom so that we could avoid the argument. I mean, who wants to be that guy, right? Well, guess who turns out to be that guy? I am going to make contact with my neighbor. But I wanted to be part of the solution, not some gimmick, but I really wanted to let her know that she's valuable to me and that there is a problem, I'm not going to dodge it, But I want to be a part of the solution, so I told her, I said, uh, good morning, just want to let you know, I I know your schedule seems to have changed a little bit, and it's required that you put your dog out in the morning at 5 o'clock. Well, that little pug is just as nervous as it can be and is is, uh, not only nervous, but effective. And um, I just want to let you know, if there's any way that we, me and Susan, can be a part of the solution, we'd like to. I would be more than happy to come over and let the dog out at 7.15 and then you know, let her potty break and then bring the dog back in. Now, before then, I thought about shooting the dog. I thought about poisoning the dog. I thought, now you say, well, I'm not coming back. This is a dog, you know, dog-hating. I love my dog. I don't even like my dog when my dog's barking too much. Um, uh, so, so, but I, I'm like, we will be part of the solution. And here's what we've also adopted there may be no solution for this. There may, she may be going to help her father, who, who may be in a, a, a place where she's gotta provide medical care or assistance, and there is no solution. And I gotta be okay that there won't be a solution. I gotta, for Christ's sake, love, love them. And so I reached out to them and told us, you should've seen what I got back from her. You guys are the best neighbors. Thank you so much for offering to help us with this problem. There was an explanation. See for most conflicts there are explanations. We just get angry first and we don't give anybody time to explain what's going on. Because if you heard the story and found out how they got so angry, you may be you may feel differently about them. And so this incredible neighbor was explained it to me and it's like, "Oh, you're watching your daughter's dog who just had a baby and can't have the dog at the house." That makes perfect sense. Well, don't worry about it, you know? And, and it's kind of like, you know, the dog will eventually go back at the end of December and things like that. You say, well, you know, was that a win? Yes, it was a win. Normally what happens is uh, she'll come to the fence and it's what normal neighbors would be. Hey, I hope my dog's not bothering. No, your dog's not bothering me. I love your little poo-poo. You know, I love your little dog. And then when she walks away, I talk to the other neighbor, you know, yeah, she puts a stupid dog out at five o'clock. You say, well, that's crazy. No, that's common. That happens all the time. Don't you think for a second there isn't somebody complaining about you today? <laughs> really, there's somebody, there's somebody going to be complaining about you. But if we're willing to do the conflict where we seek first to understand, then to be understood, and then we're willing to say, listen, I'm not just complaining to complain. I want to be a part of the solution, and I'll, I'll invest in that with you. You'd be surprised how conflicts will just disappear and, and, and Kim and Fernando are amazing neighbors. Um, number six, carry an apology in your back pocket. Just keep it right here. Don't make, don't make everybody become an archeologist to get an apology from you. I mean, seriously, some people have to become arch. they have to dig and dig and dig until finally, all right. And then it'll be like this, I'm sorry that made you angry. You know, like, you got a problem for getting angry. Now, carry an apology in your back, a meaningful apology. Because I believe that in every conflict, I'm at least guilty of misunderstanding. Whether misunderstanding of communication on my part or misunderstanding on their part. I don't believe that I am ever totally Uh, you know, out of the conflict. And so just carry an apology in your back pocket. And the last one is this, pray for them. But here's what I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray a blessing for them. That is so different. Ah. You know, I got, I don't like all my neighbors, okay? I'm just being honest with you. I don't like all of them. And there's there's one particular neighbor that, you know, as I'm walking around the neighborhood, I'll come up to their property and you know, I've not had really good interactions with this person and, and I just won't even look over there. I won't even look at their dog. It's like, I just, I just want to be like, no, I don't even want to, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to, and it's like, i just going to avoid it. And, and God just said, listen, you know, that's, that's common. And I'm like, God, help me get over my dislike for this, this person. And he's like, well, I need you to pray for them then. Every time you go past their house, you pray for them. All right. God deliver them from hell um, it's like no I want you to pray a blessing on them pray their marriage flourishes pray that their children know the Lord pray that their business succeed and it's like Paul this is what you're going to have to do if you're not going to let conflict um, change you if you want to do this uncommonly it's hitting your father hitting your coworkers. so common Praying a blessing on those who have offended you, that's not so common. But you'll also get an uncommon result. May not heal the relationship, but it definitely will heal you in the middle of it. So as we move into this moment of communion, we're just having a moment where we remember that God did something uncommon. While we were offensive, while we didn't even know we had done anything wrong, while we were going about our ways, while we were complaining, while we were yet in sin, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to do our part. He came down and he did it for us. So let me encourage you. As you take that bread and dip it into the cup, remember that God's calling you to something uncommon. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you Hey, am I, am I malicious? Am, Am I conflicted all the time? Am I always conflicted in every relationship? I'm the angry one. So God speak to my heart. I, I ask that you transform me. Am I always seeking, you know, what's in it for me is selfishness always driving, is it always about the wound against me or am I the barking dog? So allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you in all the different ways of relationship, and he will, he will. Father, as we enter into this moment with you, we ask you to do the uncommon thing. Fill us, even when we're unloving, with love. Fill us, Lord God, to have the power of forgiveness, the power of of mercy, the power of friendship, God, help us to not be the barking dog. Lord God, help us not to just be somebody that is spewing into every conversation. We, we have an opinion, an argument, and rah, 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 rah. God, help us and create a new heart in every single one of us that we may experience the uncommon, In conflicts, let me invite you to come through the communion, through a time of giving, a time of worship, a time of prayer. Allow God to do something uncommon in your heart so that you can live in common with the ones around you.